Welcome to Cross of Gold, the podcast where two brothers, one a Christian in the political wilderness and the other a socialist in the spiritual wilderness, work to rediscover faith in each other, our communities, and the American experiment. We have begged and they have walked when our calamity came. We beg no longer, we defy them. You shall not press down upon the brow of labor this crown of thorns. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Cross of Gold yet again. I'm your host, uh, co-host Cyrus, here again with my brother Chase. Chase, how are we doing today? I'm well. You have made this mistake more than once, calling yourself the host, and it's a tendency of soft despotism. So. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, I mean, if you give me the reins of control over the intro, this is what's going to happen. Power tends uh, to corrupt. <laughs> Absolute power. <laughs> corrupt. Yeah, it's a, it's a peek into my my uh, the darkness all, of my heart. Well, yeah, uh, it's not just yours; it's all of ours, and that's a different story. So, <laughs> well, uh, that being said, on the flip side of that, uh, we have some cause for celebration uh, over at the uh, Chase Capo House. It is his uh, birthday this weekend, and I understand the rest of the fam there, mom and dad, are there to help you celebrate your birthday. How, how was it? Yeah. <clears throat> you know what? They decided to do a barbecue outdoor uh, on the new patio thing with uh, some neighbors, some folks from Bible study, that sort of thing. And it was nice. Um, you know what? You more I, or less I, built that deck yourself. Is that right? Uh, well, we redid it. Yeah. With, with, with a buddy, uh, former contributor to the podcast, Andrew. And <clears throat> It was really great, man, just to get everybody around, you know, how unique it was post-coronavirus just for us to be, uh, you know, not say we're totally post, but uh, we even finished up the evening with smoking some cigars. And, man, I would like a sine-cosine curve into cigars. Um, I'm not sure why I didn't smoke more on the coronavirus, but I'm starting to get back into that. My father-in-law came in uh, to town a, a few weeks ago and took me to cigar international twice so i've got to start smoking these down and uh anyway man you know yeah you know conservatives conservatives love smoking cigars what's the deal with that i, don't I know. uh in high school uh yeah i i i don't know i i picked up a cigar thing as more of a you know trending trying to be a manliness type deal and what did you you're president about? of the young republicans club there's a certain image that has to come along <laughs> with that yeah you're not smoking an illegal churchill or something like you know um, that's right and how can you say you're better than people? Um, but what did you smoke cigars in high school? I think I tried it a couple of times. I was never like huge into most tobacco products. You were smoking um, other things of sorts. Yeah, I, I smoked the herb. Of, there you uh, go. <laughs> I smoked smoke jaws medicine. Um, uh, <laughs> 420 recently passed us. Um, I saw a couple. I've never seen it called devil's lettuce, but there, there you have that. So yeah, jazz cigarettes are more my speed. Um, okay. But yeah, I don't know, man. The the conservative fixation on on the cigar, I don't sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Sometimes a cigar is a dick. That's all I'm saying. Whoa. <laughs> you see all these conservative commentators, they love to, you know, break out the cigar. Like, you know, they they hold it like, you know, they're they're swaddling some some I don't know. Listen. I don't mean to presume anything. I'm just saying what it looks like. Um, well, but, so but I don't know. I think be that's homophobic. A... That would be uh, 
a, a challenge to potentially their insecurity. But let's just go ahead and. I didn't say it was wrong. I'm just topic. saying it's curious. Thank you. <laughs> so we're here anyway. today to do something we haven't been doing, which is talking about national politics. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, I think we've kind of covered it a little bit in the sense that we both think it's not that useful, I guess, to, to follow it closely. Not something that we think we want to encourage people to make a big part of their life is keeping up with this stuff. And I think both of us, you know, like you were telling me you got the news notification removed on your phone and I followed suit with that. I thought that was a good idea. I don't know. I, I can't speak for you. I haven't watched a single minute of like cable news of any variety. I, I can't tell you the last time I've, I've watched that. It's oh, so yeah, this is an interest, right? So um, any listener is going to get a unique perspective on Biden's first hundred days, as in neither of us have seemed to watch a minute of cable news, have removed our notifications uh, from the news apps on our phone. And I used to get news apps of 12 different news articles just so I could see the different takes on uh, the breaking news. And, you know, in the last couple of days, we've done a deep dive into his last hundred days to sort of apprise ourselves because we feel it's a responsibility and to sort of check in with any listener that cares about this. And man, I'm underwhelmed. You know, I didn't, one, I didn't miss much. Uh, Two, there are certain things to be really considerate of. Uh, immigration crisis and the humanitarian sex trafficking, all that stuff going on under our southern border is a problem. You know, on the opposite end, though, like I've I've got to attend a city council meeting. I've done a meet and greet or two with the mayor and other city council folks. And so I'm trying to redirect any kind of energy uh, locally. And man, you know, the problem is when you're looking at your phone and reading stuff that you can't impact it, it, for me, it takes it as a tendency of taking me away from the presence of my, my moment and of just me living in, you know, where I'm at. So I hopefully have been a little bit more engaged with, I think, you know, we've discussed over the last couple episodes, I've realized I've, you know, been serving an idol of productivity. And so detaching myself from something that has ultimately distracted me, these news things have allowed me to focus a little bit more on what kind of hamster wheel I'm putting myself on, that sort of stuff. So that to say, before we dive in, I think that's been some pros and some things I've realized as I've apprised myself of these current events the last couple of days preparing for this talk. Yeah, no, I think I think that's true. I mean, it's not that important stuff hasn't been happening or big stuff hasn't been happening. Yeah. But as you said, it when you realize and you make the connection that you don't have any impact over those decisions and that type of thing uh it's you th- then you really aren't missing anything because all you're missing is in in general bad news that you can't control um so now that said i think it is useful to check in now and then as we're doing today doing a little bit of a recap and reflection on biden's first hundred days uh, just to kind of understand the current moment a little bit better maybe understand where we might be going and uh, help us inform you know, the way we, we address our communities and the way we, you know, move about in the world uh, going forward if, if for people who care about this sort of thing. That said, I think we should kind of start on Biden's domestic agenda, um, you know, cover a little bit of, uh, of that, because that has been an area which in, in some ways was surprising to me and I think to other people and has, has caused controversy in 
surprising ways to me. What's your take on his domestic agenda so far? Yeah, interesting. I think it's uh, three things. And for Uncle Joe, who ran on unity, I think the first thing it's got to be said is um, he did not or hasn't been really doing a, a, a huge unity play in his inaugural address. The last time we really spoke about Biden's administration, his whole thing was I'm my whole heart is in uniting America. Um, since then, he, he has pushed through a coronavirus package that didn't have a Republican vote. And while he briefly consulted Republican leadership, um, it was clearly noted he did not wait for Republican consensus or sort of deal brokering. He wanted to push it through. Um, two lines of defense to that, that his allies and commentators that seem to be all over the media have sort of put up for that is, well, <clears throat> Democrats lost a lot of valuable time in Obama's 100 days, sort of getting placated by Republicans who ultimately didn't want Obama to be successful anyway. So screw the Republicans. We got to go forward anyway. Uh, the second is, you know, this whole like, well, that's what the Republicans do, to be fair. You know, they, uh, that, yeah, I think you had McConnell saying basically his number one priority was to make sure the Obama presidency was not successful. So um, sh sure. Right. Um, yeah. I really what's I, happened is the Democrats have woken up to the reality of hardball politics, I think, in a way. Uh, a little bit. I'm not going to say yeah, they're, they're rookies at it, man, but um, they might be ineffective at it sometimes, just like the Republicans are. But anyway. True. Um, and the second thing is, oh, well, you know, he needs to get things done. And there's a certain urgency of the moment because of coronavirus. And, you know, if you really want to buy into this, oh, he needs to show that, you know, America's government is working because, you know, the government clearly wasn't working under you know, Trump's presidency. That's just something I read in probably half dozen articles. Oh, you know, Biden needs to do this to show people that the government can do good. Like, stop. You know, whether it's good or bad done by <laughs> Trump or Biden, like, stop. So um, I thought the other thing that has to be mentioned was <clears throat> um, his executive orders, right? I didn't expect the smashing of executive orders. So I've prepared... Uh, maybe a, a blaze minute of some executive orders that you might have forgotten or slipped through the cracks through uh, since the last couple months. Um, one that was very recent was we've imposed sanctions on Russia and it kept U.S. financial firms, one of which I work with, um, from dealing in Russian bonds um, as basic um, retribution for the um, election in the 20 uh, interference in the 2020 election. So that's interesting. Um, yeah. we've, the administration, I'm just going to just roll through these. Yeah. Uh, rescinds the Mexico City policy, which is it was a uh, U.S. government funding of uh, foreign nonprofits that uh, perform or promote abortions. That one was big that just um, and highly so sort of touted. Um, uh, elevates climate change, uh, rejoins the Paris Accords. Um, you know, he with the April 22nd sort of announcement that he wants to cut carbon emissions in half by what, 2030. Um, so getting into the immigration stuff, revoked Trump's um, order for separating families at the border. Um, directed the attorney general not to renew federal contracts with private prisons. Interesting. Um, extended the nationwide moratorium on evictions and foreclosures. Just, just giving people were out of work. Um, reversed Trump's uh, admin ban on transgenders um, joining the military. Um, was it an executive order preventing sexual orientation and gender identity discrimination in the workplace? Um, ex extended or expanded um, U.S. refugee administrations or admissions programs, letting other people or other countries uh, declare 
asylum and, and refugee status. Um, he extended the um, pause on student loan payments um, and interest for Americans with federal student loans um, and debt, like I think to September 30th. Um, canceled the Keystone Pipeline, which was huge. A lot of jobs, a lot of state economies, local economies hit by that. And then rescinded Trump's 1776 sort of commission, which is the anti-critical race theory or, you know, sort of pro-America um, uh, policy there. And yeah. so there are plenty more, but whether it's pushing those through, not really consulting or even dealing with Republican leadership, um, you know, that's, that, that's sort of like, that, that would be my... That's, that's my, your that, main take that. on it, is that for a guy who was so unity oriented, at least rhetorically, when we first started, uh, or when he first started rather, that that is not what you've seen from him at all. No, people will probably just judge him for what he did or did not do when it comes to policy. And we'll probably give him a write-off for not promoting or acting in unity because they can blame the other side. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, especially maybe, given maybe, the, the media is fully in the bag for him. You know, <laughs> a lot less of what you do and maybe a little lot more of how you do it. And so. Um, Which, yeah, I mean, that is, you know, that's really interesting. You bring that up just because that is how Biden pitched himself. Not just how he pitched himself when he first, you know, was inaugurated, but how he pitched himself as the candidate that could, you know, quote unquote, get things done by reaching across the aisle. You know, he was a, a statesman from a different era. Um, you know, uh, someone with a little bit more, uh, I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, and with a tough job, he was, he said he was going to basically reach further left to the um, AOCs of the world and reach across the aisle to the uh, deplorables of the world and sort of bridge those gaps. So Cyrus, um, as a leftist socialist, uh, interested in your take, uh, have, what's Biden's first hundred days been for you and yours? Yeah, you know, it's, I think, caught a few people off guard in, in different ways. There's been some some uh, upsetting of expectations, in both positive and negative, um, at least among people who hold similar views to me. Uh, I think on the domestic side of things, there was... A, a deep cynicism about the Democratic Party's ability to do anything to help poor and working people. Uh, I mean, and they started off, his administration started off with basically reneging on a, <laughs> on a campaign promise that they promised, especially Georgia voters, you know, that what, if the two Democratic senators from Georgia were elected, there would be $2,000 checks coming out to everybody. Uh, and then they were, and then they said, oh, well, what we meant was $1,400 in addition to the $600 that Trump gave. Oh, and also the income restrictions on it are a lot more rigorous. Um, so, you know, people were actually getting less money under Biden than they ever did under Trump in terms of the stimulus at first. Um, so, you know, that, that set expectations extremely low. Put the, put the bar basically on the ground. Um, and then the minimum wage uh, effort failed, which, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of reasons why that, that did. Um, but I feel like for a party that 
prides themselves or, or advertises themselves at least on being a party representing, you know, the working class. Uh, the idea that you can't rally up that party around the basic idea that if you work a full-time job, you should have enough money to live. Uh, I think it does is an indictment of the democratic party and, and it's, it's structure. Absolutely. Uh, that should be, you know, very basic stuff that they're able to, to advance. Um, now that said, I, I think a lot of people where, where things started to turn was on the stimulus bill, um, which was a lot different, is a lot materially different from say like the 2008 stimulus bill. Um, you know, I think in a lot of ways that it is a poverty reducer. It does prioritize poor and working people a lot more so than like, you know, the 2008 bailouts did which were just, you know, massive cash handouts to banks and, and the wealthy. Um, well, yeah, now that said, really, rather than like stimuluses, but, but yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Now, now that said, the the reason for that, I think, is, is very simple, which is that um, the stakes are worse and higher now. The internal contradictions that, you know, are keeping American capitalism afloat are more fragile uh, the inequality is deeper. Uh, the lack of recovery from 2008 is, you know, is still what we're living with. We're still haunted by those ghosts. And so the response has to be better. It just has to be not not. I think it's it's a more of a political calculation than anything that there can't be a, a more tepid response than even this one, which I would say doesn't go far enough to address the crisis, you know. Um, especially when it comes to, to inequality. Now that said, it was better than I expected. And I think a lot of leftists were highly encouraged by that to the point of maybe being a little naive in their consideration of it. And meanwhile, as you said, you know, every single commentator across every national news network, except like Fox and, you know, Breitbart and OAN and those places uh, are also trying to cast uh biden as you know fdr round two. Oh yeah man I, uh, I read that almost how many times do you see that it's yeah. and that is to me that right there gives the game away because that's not what we're seeing that's that's not what's happening i mean there is there's some promising signs on the domestic front um but those in my opinion are extremely balanced out you know if, if that's what they mean by uh biden being the next fdr they probably i think that also includes like you know fdr's internment of the japanese and uh his you know robust sort of imperialist attitude and a, a lot of things he, he had had some cons as well and biden especially on the foreign policy front and on that side of things i think couldn't really be any worse mm. in my opinion I, it, to me I would love to see anyone who's trying to uh, hold up Joe Biden as this champion of progressive values and ideals to, to tell me what a real material difference is between uh, Trump's State Department under Mike Pompeo and Biden's State Department under Tony Blinken. Okay, you know, so how is it truly better? So you say in domestic policy, there's some meaningful signs, but no real meaningful progress, less the difference in the stimulus bill for coronavirus. So you're more on the wait and see uh, domestically and, and foreign policy wise uh, or internationally, you see no difference. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, you mentioned that though. Like, do you do you see also what I said about there not being a lot of like reaching across the aisle? Um, oh no, definitely. In my opinion, that they, they have, like I said a little bit, they've woken up to sort of the reality that Mitch McConnell, I think, had woken up to a couple years ago, or many years ago, even at this point, which is that um, you don't have to do that to win at all in fact it's easier to win if you don't do that um and and that is i think what they're coming to to a certain understanding now that said they the democrats are sort of lucky enough uh from from their perspective that they have a couple senators that caucus with the democrats like cinema kirsten cinema and joe manchin and, and those others that they can get away with being like oh well the only reason we can't do this is because we have these you know, these centrist senators and sorry, we just like can't pass it. And I think like the PRO Act is, is a great example. You know, um, Russ, one of our previous guests and I had, had a little conversation about this the other day in regards to, uh, you know, Biden's stance towards organized labor, because obviously Russ is a union organizer. I, as a socialist, think union organization is extremely important. Um for, you know, fixing inequality and a lot of the, the problems that we have today. But uh, he was extremely uh, bully, bullish about about Biden's, you know, labor attitude and posture. But so far, rhetorically, Biden might be the most pro-union president of my lifetime. Mm. But there hasn't been anything actually material that's uh, that's resulted from that. He did give a speech supporting the, the union vote at the Amazon plant in Alabama uh, that, that, that failed. And you could say, well, it's hey, it's good that he supported it, brought some national attention to it. I, I can't necessarily disagree with that. Uh, but to call him a close ally of the unions, when let's not forget, he's a senator from Delaware, which is essentially just one big corporation of a state. Um uh, <laughs> That I, I don't know. I, I'm a little I'm, I'm, I'm extremely skeptical about that, uh, to, to be frank, especially when, you know, people from the tech sector, executives from all levels of government, manufacturing, retail, uh, you know, like I said, like places like Uber and Lyft who have extremely anti-union orientations, they, they make up the, the sort of power behind the throne in, in many ways of his administration. So um, I don't know that they care about passing something like the PRO Act. They know that it can't pass unless they uh, reform the filibuster. It, it's, there's no way it's going to go through. So, yeah, anyways, all that to say, I like I said, there are some good things and I, I don't want to knock those things. Um, so but like I don't your, think you like some of the stuff that's happened so far, but ultimately pessimistic on anything more meaningful to full to happen yes and, and any pretense that the good things that have happened have happened because of activism and organizing i don't want to be discouraging here i just don't think that that's true i well, think that they the good things that have happened have happened because essentially they had no other choice um, in, thing, in many ways. Uh, domestically i will say is really bad and, and really good and maybe to close that that section is the really bad is immigration, man, especially in Texas. I was on a call with our Congresswoman um, and hearing her things and some other folks from the organizations we're a part of, uh, like they're like our, they 
K Bailey Hutchinson Dallas event center, man is dealing with this overflow of refugees and children separated from their families. We, this is a serious, serious problem and having being lightly tied into the problems with sex, sex trafficking for these kids, like that's a big issue. And so I understand maybe the administration's first priority uh, legislatively pushing through this uh, coronavirus package. I don't really agree with the second priority being in the infrastructure when we have some seriously horrendous, sexy, evil things happening because largely we've repealed, whether you agree or not, with uh, Trump immigration policies. And the, the vacuum of that is, is, is like a, there's a big sucking sound happening along our southern border and it's like taking souls and bodies with it. Now, the good thing I would throw out there though is the infrastructure in that I think the way to the administration proposed to pay for it, which is like having the difference um, of the corporate income tax. Like I think it was 35% under Trump and he banged it down to 23 and now he's reproposing to put it up to 28 to pay for the 2.2 trillion. And now mind you, I might have some disagreements on how we allocate those funds. I think there's only like like six or nine percent of that that bill actually going to roads and bridges now it's a lot of it's going to other infrastructure maybe like you know dams and uh, solar and other things but so i think the, the actual package could probably be more uh wisely structured but how to pay for it like uh, that makes sense so um that's my that's my pro con for you and mike my, my that's my that's my take that's your take well, i appreciate you being uh, generous enough to give give biden that um I am probably even you probably have a, an eye towards giving him a little bit more benefit of the doubt than even I do in, in some ways. But I, I couldn't agree with you more about the immigration uh, uh, issue that's that's happening right now. And I, I people, everyone across the news media is calling it a crisis. Uh, yeah, but dude, it's and, it, from and it is. I mean, they're headlines. It's relatively getting a lot less attention than it got under Trump. And I don't really care about that, but it's. Oh, Proportion of badness to attention is not right. No, absolutely. And the idea that, you know, I mean, kids in cages, that was the yeah. the refrain that we heard during the Trump administration. You know, Trump is putting children in jails. And the only differences under the Biden administration is those are actually overflow facilities, not jails. Uh, but you can't leave um and <laughs> even if a family member comes to claim you you can't go with them yeah i mean so I it's really good I, for anyone to like take a step back and understand how much their views their prioritization of politics and their moods are freaking guided at least it's nestled along by the by the media so man like i could do with so much less media help me now so yeah, I mean, I think this is a good opportunity for those who, who are more sympathetic to liberal or left causes. If you find yourself, you know, rationalizing the uh, Biden's treatment of immigrants at the border and uh, the especially of children and saying, oh, well, it's not really like that, like their space blankets are slightly more spread out. I mean, I, I don't even know, but like the conditions are not good. Um you know, then you, you should be interrogating that about yourself a little bit of, uh, am I just giving these people just totally the benefit of the doubt? Yeah. Because so I agree with them ideologically. Sorry, Cyrus, you're absolutely right. If like the problem no. is quantifiably worse than it was under Trump. So if you were hot and bothered about it under Trump, you should be more hot and bothered by it now, period. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to, you know, kind of hammer the point home too, at least from my perspective, that this, this quote unquote crisis, as people like to call it, it is serious and it is bad. And there is there, like you said, it is resulting in human misery and suffering. Um, but it is a consequence of U.S. policy. This, this is the result of our foreign policy, our having, you know, meddled in the affairs of Latin American countries, destabilizing their governments. It's the re- result of immigration policy, of having such strict rules on, on our immigration that people don't want to go back to their home country because they're afraid they won't be able to come back into here. Well, uh, it's, well uh, let's, it's not all of our issues. I mean, so yes, we've done some, some seriously bad things to, to topple destabled economies and governments. Um, I do think we could have a much more coherent, updated, modern labor and immigration. Like, I don't know why we don't have an Ellis Island on the east and southern border, right? Um, however, uh, maybe we couch all of that for you and maybe we bring Brian back on. So because I know you are pretty frustrated by the imperialistic consequences of our actions as a country. So let's focus on that later because I do think there's, it's not all of our issue. We're also dealing with, you know, uh, dictators and despots in the South and other things too. So I think the one other thing you think that you, you said, at least you texted me about, and then maybe we can wrap up here with this was your, your frustration with Biden and uh, patent rights and laws over the coronavirus vaccines. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that is a, a sticking point for me and something I want to want to briefly talk about. Um, I'll try to be brief. Um, but I think the story so far of Biden's first hundred days at least the way I see it, is one of the fulfillment of Trump's campaign promises in a a more fundamental way. Uh, Trump was make America great again, America first. That was, you know, two two of the major refrains uh, of of his, you know, candidacy and presidency. Now that said, let's, let's sort of examine how Biden pitched himself, which was in many ways sort of the bizarro you know, if, if Trump is the bizarro Superman, Biden is the, the normal Superman, but just two sides of the same coin. Uh, Biden is uh, harkens back to the past, you know, back when politicians were moral. And, you know, at least that's how he's pitching himself. Oh. And yeah, exactly. And, and cared and wanted to get things done and reach across the aisle. You know, let's go back to when that was the way things were done. Uh, back when America was great. Let's make it like that again. Um, and the America first mindset, I think, has really been what there is their guiding principle at, uh, uh, at, at, as they approach both domestic and foreign policy. I think in a lot of ways, they, they did help poor and working Americans in a way that Trump never really tried to. Uh, never did any actual policy oriented towards. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, my conservative colleagues would disagree in the sense that he made the economy better and or, you know, before coronavirus. That's it. I'm talking about, though, like direct injections into their into their bank account, you know, act like immediately seeing material change, immediately seeing reductions in poverty across no. the country. That did happen. That um, did right, and and is happening. What's the best way to help people like government handouts and or, you know, uh, so, totally. But from the perspective of poor and working people, they tend to like the cash in their bank account. Um, so what I will say is at least at least that's that's sort of how uh, the Democrats are framing it or that's their mindset is this is like we're actually helping those people. Um, but on the other side of the coin, you know, I think a lot of people 
were afraid almost on the left or, or had this boogeyman idea of this uh, Republican turn towards some social democratic things like maybe Medicare for all and uh, maybe free college, things like that, that maybe the Republicans would eventually get behind, but by the same token would you know, become increasingly xenophobic or restrictive in their immigration policy would become increasingly, uh, you know, either isolationist or or interventionist in their military policy. But but either way, with a total, you know, focus on America's priorities being being that way. And I, I say all this to talk about the vaccine thing, because what's happening right now is something that I think will be looked upon as a great American sin um that that we are undergoing right now which is we are hoarding all of the vaccines for ourselves. and listen i understand every country has a right to pursue its own national interest to a certain extent i think and wanting to take care of your citizens is a good thing but we're not even talking about like us hoarding all the actual vaccines we're hoarding the knowledge that allows people to produce vaccines uh I think I saw an estimate the other day that was uh, it will take 60% of the developing world or by 2023, only 60% of the developing world will have been vaccinated against the coronavirus. And that is a direct result of our government, our government's decisions not to open up those patent rights and allow other countries to produce the vaccine. We are sentencing people to death um, because we want to protect our pharmaceutical companies that that's really what's happening. Um, and that is, in my opinion, uh, extremely indicative of, of Biden's approach and his administration's approach to how, how they view America's place in the world, which is we get everything good first. Uh, we take care of ourselves a hundred percent first, no consideration for anybody else's, uh, you know, security or, or whatever else. So long as it doesn't impact us, um, and beyond that, yeah, we might help you a little bit, but there's going to be uh, a price that, that, that we want to collect on. Um, and I think that that's shown through the vaccine apartheid. I think that's shown through our orientation towards Iran and other countries uh, that, that it's extremely aggressive. Um, Russia being another, Venezuela being another. Um, and some people might say, oh, well, you know, those countries are bad. You, you should be like that. Um, but I would say I think that's an extremely short-sighted way to be um, and, and doesn't really, you know, look at any of the intricacies of, of the actual situation and is, isn't really about peace or democracy or freedom, but is about ensuring that everybody knows that America, it might, we, we had a little episode there for four years, might have lost a little bit of prestige, but we're, the, we're back on top. And everybody needs to recognize that. Um, that's at least how I how I see it. And I think that's frustrated with shown time and again. Just the general America first when it comes to when the rubber meets the road and we're not at least subsidizing vaccines for other countries. Uh, we're not even worried about that. We're just worried about, well and trying to get I mean what it, what I think it is is the policies that that are Amer it's American supremacy. And I say that in the same terms as like white supremacy, which is that American lives are just more inherently valuable is is the way American policy has been for a long time. Um, and, well, and all governments uh, do that to an extent. Because if you're our government, man, like 
they, they at least in order of prioritization your citizens lives are you know what i mean and no, i i do understand more, that but I, they're more but you know they're higher up in the that's that's their priority you know that's true i i would say but like there's this there's all some degree right you know like there are you you could be less or more that way and where do you draw the line you know, if your logic is just, well, I'm the president of my country, we need to pursue our national interests fully, everything else be damned. I think that that's also in the realpolitik sense, short-sighted. Yeah, sure. um, no, I understand. Now, yeah. America is so powerful and has so much leverage over everyone that... If you want to open up new markets and build goodwill, you can certainly do it now when people are in need, something like that. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that shows me they're not really interested in developing those places, but you know, all that to say, I think, um, you know, wrapping up here a little bit with, with Biden's presidency, uh, I am not encouraging people to continue to pay attention to all this stuff. Uh, I think it's useful to check back in now and then, and we will do that on the show. Encouraging people to do that. Uh, I'm encouraging people to do the same thing I've been encouraging since we started the show, which is to look around them. Uh, you know, if you do care about things like uh, immigration uh, or, you know, the, the rights of, of refugees or immigrants or the uh, rights of even uh, foreign citizens, you know, and, and rights from our infringement on their livelihoods, uh, you can do things in your community to help in your own way right now. Um, and you know, maybe the time will come and I think it will eventually where activism and, and that sort of thing will be more necessary. Um, I mean, activism is always necessary. I don't want to, you know, decry it, um, in terms of having an influence on national politics, that time will return, but it's not right now. Uh, so what I encourage people to do is go out there, get into their communities, find, if you care about immigration rights, Go find an immigrant organization in your city. I guarantee there is one. If you don't know Spanish, maybe start practicing. Uh, you know, pick up pick up a Duolingo or whatever. Uh, not not an ad, not an ad. Um, but like, there there are things you can do right now to prepare for the future in that sense. So that's what I would encourage people to do. Okay, sorry. So what I hear you saying, encouraging people to get out, is like whether it's um, going to your church, asking the executive pastor or the, that sort of leadership. Hey, is there someone that, that needs help? Is there someone, especially in coronavirus, that you know needs you're uncomfortable giving money, giving a, um, gift cards of food, and or having food deliveries, or going to feed at a, a, a soup kitchen, and or getting more involved locally, um, being at those school board meetings, those city meetings, PTA, whatever. That's what you're saying. Yeah, especially as things are opening up right now, you know, find ways to plug yourself into the community, uh, whether it be through you know things as small as like a grocery co-op with the people in your neighborhood or, uh, uh, you know, a, a babysitting co-op or, or whatever, you know, I mean, like I said, I think it's very easy to feel extremely cynical and uh, like you don't have any control over these, you know, sort of awful things that continue to happen around us uh, in, in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that's, you know, kind of evidenced, I feel, it, there's certainly a different tone with the BLM protests this time around than there was last summer. Um, and that could be in some ways because so much happened last summer and there wasn't really that much direct change. Um, 
But under the Biden administration, it does seem like things have cooled off a little uh, in terms of people's, you know, mobilization towards towards that goal. And I don't know what the answer is in terms of how is the best way to achieve things like police reform. I don't know. I'm not an expert on that. Um, What I will say is, is even if you're feeling discouraged right now, the best way to start to feel encouraged is to plug yourself into parts of your community, build relationships, find ways to, to love on and help people. Um, and that will hopefully if enough people do that, start to get the ball rolling. Um, and, uh, share our podcast. I think that'll also make a massive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Share this podcast. If you're listening to or rate, give us a rating. Uh, so there you go. Yes, please. All please. right. Some um, there. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry if I if I soapboxed a little there. I just, um, you know, I see things like AOC coming on and saying Biden has exceeded expectations, or even making excuses for his border policy and 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 really trying to, you know, say, oh well, you know, Biden's kids might be in cages, but they're slightly nicer cages. Essentially, the sentiment, and I that that's discouraging to me because I think that that gives. Uh, evil people in our government cover. So how uh, can I keep you and challenge you to accountable to really um, to, to, to not be so cynical and because of what the reality is and engage in, in locally. I want to help help here by providing sort of accountability. Yeah, man, a- as we, you know, sort of as I move out soon and I'm moving into a new area and I would like you to keep me accountable, whether it be personally or through the show. Uh, you know, don't let me get too distracted by my own uh, my own BS because um, there's there's always always time to help out people, uh, find ways to to be of service. So as I leave, and then especially as I get there, um, you know, I know it's uh, a common thing for people my age to, as you start to you know get into young adulthood, real young adulthood. It's hard to find friends, um, hard to make friends. I'm going to try to uh, figure out a way to do that in the most productive way possible as I as I move into this new place. So, yeah, you know what? All that's- Happy to keep you um, honest on that. And you know what? Um, uh, good friends on similar causes um, are, I think, more important for me and Samantha than like our friends our age. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. better to associate with folks 20, 30 years our senior than like that are wanting to do the same thing um, and can share the same mind. Uh, yeah. We keep them young. They keep, try to keep us wise. You know what I mean? If you're, if you're working toward the same goal. So yeah, no, absolutely. Anyway, right. yeah. um, let's not do a look back at least for another quarter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I know this was painful for both of us in, in, in some ways. And I don't I don't like really fixating in, on these things. And I encourage other people not to. But hopefully this was enough of a recap that your little palate cleanser will we'll, we'll come back in another few months and, uh, and rap again about it. But I think that that does it for today. Big interview coming up um, and then uh, the Gospels as well. So stay tuned. Yeah, a lot to be excited for. Uh, keep uh, following us on uh, those those podcast platforms and social media, and uh, we hope to hear from you. Love you, dude. Love you too, man. Have a good day. But principles are eternal, and this has been a contest 
over a principle. In this contest, brother has been arrayed against brother, father against son. It is for these that we speak. We do not come as aggressors. Our war is not a war of conquest. We are fighting in defense of our homes, our families, and posterity. This has been Cross of Gold. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank Sant Invictus for producing our intro and outro songs and uh, look forward to seeing you next time.